0: I want to encourage you, church, to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19. I'm so glad to see so many people back after we were in Leviticus last week that I thought we'd do it one more time. So how about that, all right? Um, as if you've been following along with us or if you haven't, I want to kind of tell you just kind of where we're at as a church and what we're doing. So we uh, are reading along in the Bible together. And our one-year Bible reading plan, and we uh, that is semi-chronological, and we are in the book of Leviticus. Soon to be finished with that, and moving along. But uh, I wanted us to to look back one more time in the book of Leviticus as uh, as we're reading through the Bible. I am also preaching us through the Bible, and our our sermons and our times here together on Sunday mornings are lining up with where we're at in our Bible reading. Together. Uh, Whether you realize it or not, as we've been looking through the text, even just specifically this last few weeks, uh, there's been a tension. Brewing uh, in the text uh, and and the sermons from these last few weeks and and by that I mean a theological tension. All right, so not any sort of human tension. All right, so don't don't start thinking there's some sort of drama or anything or or personal tension. And if you haven't caught what the tension is, then good, because now I have you on the edge of your seats. Or maybe you haven't been here, so you don't know what what I'm talking about. All right, uh, or if if you have caught the tension, then I hope we're on the same page as to what the tension is. Okay. Uh, Either way, we're going to find out here as we move along through the text this morning. So the tension exists in this, that just a few weeks ago, I pointed out to us the the relevancy of the Ten Commandments and the law for us as followers of Christ. Now, here we are reading through Leviticus, so the, the nitty-gritty of the law, we're getting down to like this is the, the finite intricacies of what the law and how the people are to uh, exhibit the law, obey the law, and what, what the significances of that are. And I'll tell you again just how relevant, as, just as I did last week, all of this is to the believer. And, and this is the tension that this can cause in our minds is, is that between law and gospel. And so we can, we can tend to pit the two against each other. As we, we make caricatures of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we think that these two things just don't combine. They don't go together. And sometimes you'll see churches spend so much time in, just in the New Testament because uh, they, they think that the Old Testament is somehow outdated. That it's, it's that. It's old, right? So it's... it's, it's Put, put away. And so we'll just refer to some of the bigger stories every now and then, right? But that, let it not be so here, all right? So we can tend to pit these two things against each other, the law and the gospel. Am I allowed to eat shellfish and pork? Can I wear clothes made of blended cloth and have tattoos? And you know, the, the really important theological questions those are, right? Uh, those are the really things that we all ponder. What, what, what must I do? Must I follow the law or shall I rest in the grace of the gospel? Right? The, the answer is yes. But within the parameters of the gospel, which Christ as, sets as our standard. Within the parameters of the gospel with Christ as our standard. So what are we getting to the heart of? And uh, what we are getting to the heart of this morning is this major overarching theme through the book of Leviticus. And throughout, really, the Bible as a whole. And that being that of holiness. That the the holiness of God and the holy standard by which He has called us as His people, as His followers. And now for, you know, here as the children of Israel, but for us as the church to live. He's called us to live according to His holy standard. So what does that look like when we have this this Old Testament law and we have the New Testament gospel? And how how do we see those things connect? How do we make the connection there? We're going to get to that this morning. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand once again in honor of the reading of God's word. And again, we are in Leviticus chapter 19 and verses 1 through 4 is our text this morning. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, as we come before your word, we are eager to uh, see how you have revealed yourself there and how you call us to live in light of your revelation of yourself. So I pray that your spirit working in us and through your word this morning would make that abundantly clear so that we would walk in obedience to it as we leave this place. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. So... As we get started, as we get ready to dive into the text here, there's three things here which I would like us to take away from just verse 2 alone. So hopefully you grabbed an outline on your way in this morning, or you were handed one by our incredible greeters, uh, the Rodriguez family, the Rodriguez men this morning. All right, thank you guys. Uh, And if you didn't, then... Let us know. We'd love to get you one, but that's okay. Uh, The answer and kind of the outline will be on the screen behind me. So there's three things here which I want us to take from verse 2 alone. Three things which God's standard of holiness makes clear for us when it comes to the practicality of how we live in light of this reality. Okay? So the first thing, we're going to dive right in on the first point this morning. First point of your outline. Holiness is God's revealed standard for humanity. Holiness is God's revealed standard for humanity. Now, the important distinction there that is made is that last word in that point, humanity. Like, holiness is God's standard across the board. So it's not just that he he says that his people must be holy, but holiness is his standard. Therefore, anyone who does not meet that standard is not his people. All right? And so that everyone is held accountable to the same standard when it comes to God. So as we read Leviticus, this fact is undeniable. God requires holiness. However, this is obviously not isolated to Leviticus, but it is made clear throughout the entirety of the Bible. God's Word declares who He is and who He calls us to be in light of that revelation. Okay? So... And revealing his standard, we see here he calls in the midst of Moses giving the law to the people. And the Lord speaks to Moses and he says, speak to all the congregation. I want everybody to hear and clearly understand where every one of these intricate laws about diets and, and sacrifices and, and clothing. And where does all this come from? What, what is the point of all of this? And he says right there in verse 2, speak to all the congregation. Of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So, the next point that I'd like to make here from verse 2 is who? Who? God reveals as the standard setter for holiness. Who does God reveal as the standard setter for holiness? And we see it. Speak to all the congregation of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So as God continues to reveal his law to his people, we see repeated calls to holiness. The entire call to holiness is tied to this undeniable truth, that God himself is the very standard of holiness. So, God sets the standard for his people that we may properly reflect the image of his holy character to all creation. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like the creation story, right? And the next point there on your outline is to be holy is to properly reflect the image of God. To be holy is, for us is to properly reflect the image of God. Any image of God that reflects me getting my way is a distorted image of God. And that is the image of God that we have in us, in our flesh, right? If I get to live life in the quote-unquote freedom of my desires, who am I displaying as the little g God of my world? Me, right? So if I live life according to my set standards and what I desire, and what I want to do, and and what I think is right, I'm making myself out to be a little g God in my own world. But if I'm called to submit and conform and be redeemed to the image of Him who created me, that's where we find true freedom. God's standard of holiness is extended unto those who are created in His image. So all people are created in the image of God. But as we said, that image is distorted. It's marred by the reality of sin in our lives. So this takes us all the way back to creation and the fall, where we see God create man in his image for the express purpose of multiplying that image across the earth. However, sin, as we've said, distorts that image. So to be holy is to properly reflect the image of God that we may properly glorify His name. And this is this call to holiness is a call to be redeemed, to be made right, to be brought back to the very image in which He intended for us to be and to reflect His glory. So we can't understand ourselves until we know our Creator and His love for us. Our love, our knowledge, our understanding of God compels our understanding of ourselves and our ability to love and appreciate ourselves and also our love for others. So this is what the religion of society preaches, especially in our day and time, right? To love yourself, be true to yourself. Let's let's all just be good to each other. Be a good human, right? You'll see phrases and, and ideologies like that all the time. Well, the problem is that there's no standard of what is good in that life, right? The problem is that they have no set standard for what that looks like. So it's up to everybody, individual, on what it means to be true to yourself or what good is, right? So if you really want to love others better... If you really want to know and understand your true self, that starts with loving God most and pursuing the holiness that He calls us to. And so this is why we must be careful also with a lot of modern worship music. I don't know why, but as I, as I was um, contemplating this particular point, this uh, idea of our, a lot of the modern music, praise and worship music that we'll hear on the radio, uh, came to my mind, is that it might be positive, encouraging, right? But the question we have to ask ourselves, is it biblical? So we'll hear these endless choruses that proclaim God being for us, that breakthrough is coming, I'm so blessed, joy in the morning, that love me like I am, right? So we'll hear all of these things. So we can become so distracted by the fact that these songs are mostly singing about who? us and our feelings and what, we, what kind of good feelings we can gain from uh, some sort of sense of religiosity, right? The center focus becomes the self rather than the grandeur of God. And so this call to holiness is a call to focus on God himself and to realize that we are not rightly in his image as we should be in our flesh. Get to know your Creator. Because the truth of the matter is, if we've stopped pursuing holiness, we've stopped pursuing the heart of God. Either we desire to know Him, to be His, and to dwell with Him forever, or we desire to attain to our own standards of what's right and wrong and good. The third and final point that I want to make from verse 2 is the condition that we are in, and that's what we're kind of leading to in the last little bit there, that, that, that being that we are unholy, right? So we see there, you shall be. This is a command that is ongoing, that you have to become this, right? Not thank you for being holy because I am holy, right? That's not what he says. But you shall be holy, indicating that we are naturally unholy. And the next point there on your outline coming from verse 2 is understanding our depravity is essential to a pursuit of holiness. Because if we begin from a part or some sort of understanding that we are mostly good, that people are mostly good, there's just a few bad people in this world. There's a few bad apples, right? If we begin from there, then we're, we're setting some unholy biblically recognized standard of righteousness within ourselves, that we are somewhat righteous in and of ourselves and God just helps take us to the next step. But that's not true at all because we have to, in order to pursue holiness, we have to understand where we're starting from and that is ground zero in the midst of our depravity, right? So the reason that unholiness, particularly our own, Because we can can get real upset and recognize real easily the unholiness of others, right? But the reason that unholiness, and particularly our own, doesn't offend us enough is because we have such an inadequate view of God's holiness. So until we understand God's holiness and then understand our depravity in light of God's holiness, then we can't really start from the place where we need to be, nor get to where we need to be. And this is what God's word helps us to realize. So this causes us to, this kind of understanding of the, you know, that thought of people are mostly good and uh, that, that, that causes us to have a fleshly standard of holiness. A holiness of the flesh is what, what I'll call it. So holiness of the flesh is no better than unrighteousness. What does that mean? Holiness of the flesh, that is, any sense of holiness that can be obtained in and of ourselves. Any idea that there is some amount of good that I can do or something that I can accomplish and make myself holy is wrong. It's just as good as unrighteousness to God. So, any self righteousness, any clinging to the law by the power of the flesh, any attempt to emphasize certain sins over others right that's the game that we'll play in that mindset we're we'll thinking like like i'm better because i at least don't do what this group over here does or i've got this list of of accomplishments that i do on a regularly basis so therefore i'm in a better state than them over there right well that's the game we'll play with ourselves that's what i would call holiness of the flesh right And guess what? For all its striving and all its aching, it's still unrighteousness to God. Which, of course, means what? Where does that leave us? It leaves us needing a standard of holiness and righteousness outside of ourselves. So, in giving His law, God is setting His people apart from the standards of the world and the standards of self. So completely being set apart. In fact, that's what it means to be holy, to be made holy, to be set apart, that they may rely on him. This is the entire point, is that he is giving them the law, he's setting them apart from the standards of the world, the standards of self, so that they will rely on him. So they will realize they can't do this on their own. So thus, based on his own holy character, his standard of holiness, and desire for us to be holy, God establishes his law. And so we continue there to verse 3. And this is essentially a summarization, is what... um, The Lord does right here a recapping, if you will, of the Ten Commandments. Right, that's why it seems so familiar. uh, The wording's just a little bit. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father, and you shall keep my sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols and make for yourselves any god, gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. So you go on down to verse 37 which is there toward the, was the very last verse in chapter 19. And you see the Lord kind of caps this off and, with keeping my statutes. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. So the standard of holiness that is set for us by God himself is that you must adhere to every part. There is no, well, I'm really good at these laws, but I kind of struggle at these, right? There's no, there's not like a, a system, a grading system. Well, you get a 70% on the law today, right? Like, there's nothing like that. Well, so at least you passed, right? Not, no. So in chapters one through seven, here in Leviticus, we see the phrase holy. So, a holy part, holy things, holy place. That's what that word holy is used in reference to, in reference to the law of sacrificial system and how it makes one holy. So next we have the practices of the priests and the holiness reflected there. And then you jump to chapter 11, and that's where we first see this standard that the Lord just clearly draws this line in the sand right there. You jump to chapter 11, and uh, I believe it's verse 44, but I'm just going to read it for us. Uh, And we see the Lord say, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. So the standard that's set is adherence to the law, and adherence and obedience to God's law equals holiness. And that's the next point there on your outline. Holiness comes from adhering to the law. Now, that statement should do one of a few things. It should make you like, I hope he's going somewhere deeper with that. Or it should strike fear deep into our sinful hearts. Why? Because in our sinful flesh, we have zero desire to adhere to the law. We don't even want to. Therefore, we are unholy and separated from God. In Galatians 3.10, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to, or it'll be on the screen. But uh, I just want to make this quick reference because Paul lays this very thing out. That in the system of the law, you must adhere to every. Dot an iota. Or else you are out of step with it. And this is what Paul says in making this point in Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So not just to abide by it, but you have to actually do it too. Paul says like, Look, if that's, if that's our standard, we are cursed. It's what we were until Christ. And this is where the gospel becomes such good news. That's the next point there on your outline, that in Christ we are justified according to the law. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 is where we see this just so beautifully laid out for us in terms of the law and our relationship to it now in light of Christ. So Paul here in Romans 10, just to give us a little context, is is referencing and talking about, um, uh, he comes out of Romans 9 talking about God's sovereign choice and then the unbelief of Israel in the midst of that. And he begins by talking about his desire for his brothers, his, his, his kin, his, his people that he came from, he wants them to know that they may be saved. And he says this, Romans 10, starting in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So the them, so his brothers, who he's referring to now, is the church at Rome, right? So, and the them that he desires to be saved is his fellow Israelites, his fellow Jews. Verse 2 For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, so what was our point again? That if we don't understand God's holiness, then we can't begin to understand our own depravity, right? So being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the point that, and he goes on to even expound even further on that, Talking about what Moses writes in in regards to righteousness, and how the but the point there is verse 4, and that's what, what he builds off of that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Right? So, in other words, because Christ has perfectly fulfilled the law and is the perfect embodiment, is the very word incarnate. Because of his obedience and his righteousness and holiness, that is imparted on us who believe in him. So the other tension which can arise when we read Leviticus are those laws that to us uh, that appear to us peculiar right, or out of sorts with how we live, out of sorts with modern culture, out of sorts with our culture, right? So we'll, we'll even see the non-believing world try to confront the church using some of these issues by trying to point out some misperceived level of hypocrisy, right? And here's what I mean by that. They'll say, well, you know, In Leviticus, it clearly outlines God's design for marriage and and the abomination of homosexuality. But it also says you're not supposed to eat shellfish and you do that. And so they'll try to, ah, gotcha, right? Problem is they're wrong, all right? So let me show you. So when looking at the Mosaic Law, we can break them down into three categories, right? So the first is civil. So it's civil law. So these commands set Israel apart from... Pagan nations in their diet and in their clothing. So the Lord is setting apart his people from the pagan nations in which they are going to overcome, going to conquer as they're taking the promised land. And he's saying, Look, this is what those nations are doing. I'm setting you apart from them. So you can't partake in the same practices they do. You can't eat the same things they do. You can't wear the same clothes they do. Why? Because I'm, I'm making you holy. I'm setting you apart, right? So that's civil. Right. Uh, the next that we see is ceremonial. So these instructed Israel on how to worship. And the third is moral. So you think they're the, the Ten Commandments. Okay. So what do we say to those who may accuse us of some misperceived level of hypocrisy? We refer to the best commentary that we have on the Bible. Y'all know what that is? The best commentary that we have on the Bible is the word itself, all right? So go to 1 Peter chapter one. 1 Peter chapter one. So we've seen that in order to be righteous, in order to be made holy under the system of the law, you have to adhere to every part of it. We've seen that Christ is the fulfillment of the law for all those who believe, right? And now we see, uh-oh, we still have a call to be holy. So you're telling me that I don't just get just, just free reign grace under Christ? First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. So preparing your minds for action, being intently focused, right? Being sober-minded, not letting anything cloud your judgment, not letting anything get in your way, and you set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, how do we How do we come to grips with this? We we seemingly have this tension of law and gospel. But then here we see like Christ is the fulfillment of the law, but we still have this obligation to be holy, to pursue holiness. And the very next point there on your outline is that holiness is at the heart of the gospel. That we don't have free reign grace under Christ to just begin now that because Christ fulfills the law for us, we can do whatever, right? But we still have this call to holiness. Why? Because we've been made new. We've been redeemed. We've been brought to a new life in Christ. That's, that's what we say in baptism, right? Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a newness of life. And so, in that newness of life, comes a new heart, a new desire. And so, whereas our heart that was fleshly and hardened by sin, that heart never desired to follow the law. Didn't want anything to do with it. Now, this heart that has been made new in Christ, this heart feels conviction when I walk out of step with the law. So... And we see Jesus in Matthew five. We referenced this just a few weeks ago. He says, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished." So the question still is looming there. I know you're thinking, like, you still haven't answered it. Like, what do we do with some of those, um, some of those peculiar verses? Like, how do we come to grips with? Like, yeah, I do eat shellfish, and I do think that homosexuality is wrong. So, like, so how do I come to grips with those? So, out of the overflow of a heart that has been made new, we still pursue to walk in obedience to the moral laws. And that's what Jesus modeled for us by walking in step with the Spirit, right? So, still not trying to rely on our flesh, not trying to rely on our own ability to keep the law, but in walking in step with the Spirit, relying on the Lord's provision and strength and guidance, and relying on the Word to continue to make our heart new and to, and to shape and mold us into obedience, right? However, because as Jesus explains for us, and we see this in the New Testament, we no longer follow the civil laws the dietary, the clothing, the cultural. Why? Because we are no longer a, identified as the people of God by being one geopolitical nation, but we are rather now the church, a, nation, a, tri- of, uh, a people of every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Now, we also no longer follow the the ceremonial laws the same way. Why? Because Christ has satisfied the system of sacrifice, right? And as Jesus himself said, that he is Lord over the Sabbath, right? And so now we don't practice Sabbath as was written in the law on one day, but rather because of Christ, every day is Sabbath as we rest in the grace of Christ. Our worship practices no longer look the same. Why? Because of Christ. In Christ, the people of God are no longer a geopolitical nation, but people from every tribe and tongue. In Christ, the one who declared himself as Lord over the Sabbath died as the perfect sacrifice to satisfy the sacrificial system and rose again that we might celebrate every day as Sabbath. And why else did he die that death? Why else? What else did that... Uh, resurrection seal for us, it sealed our holiness. But we are still called to now walk in a life that pursues that holiness and feels conviction when we're out of step with that law, when we do something that disgraces God's name, or when we do something as a people that goes against what God has declared in His Word. And so, this is usually the part where students or young, younger people take everything I just said, and they'll hear, so you're telling me tattoos are okay. <laughs> right? To which I'll respond, yes, but you know what still remains? Honor your father and mother. So you're telling me that I can do this, but yes, but we still have this standard of holiness that we are called to. So therefore, whatever we do must obtain to that standard. What we do with our body, what we put on our body, what we put in our body must obtain to God's standard of holiness and be a pleasing sight to him, a life lived in worship to him. So students and young people, if your desire is to dishonor your father and mother, you need to check your heart. Because God has called us to holiness and given us a primary example of what it looks like to be holy. To honor his created order by honoring your father and mother. And guess what? There's no expiration date on that. It doesn't say honor your father and mother until you're 18 and can make decisions on your own. Right? The standard of holiness that we are called to also does not expire. It has simply been more perfectly revealed in the person of Christ to say you can't do it on your own. You can't walk holy on your own. You won't find satisfaction in seeking the standards of the world. So if that's you, if you're a believer and you've been seeking at times and tempted to walk in your own sense of self-righteousness and holiness, get rid of it. If you're a non-believer and you've been pursuing the standards of the world or your own standards, get rid of it. Submit and turn to him. Repent and believe. Because this is God's set standard for humanity. And he will hold to it. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you and thank you for your holiness and the standard which it calls us to live by. And we admit, Lord, we, we, we come before you saying we cannot be holy in and of ourselves. And so we are brought to our knees in thankfulness at the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the resurrection, which seals and guarantees our resurrection. And in doing so, you have made those who were holy, unholy, you have made us holy. So help us to walk in that by continually day after day being sanctified and edified as your church and Lord I also pray for anyone who is here that may not know your name that maybe they're pursuing holiness by their own standards, they're pursuing the standards of the world, they're setting themselves up as a little G God in their own life, I pray that you would convict them bring them to repentance and draw them to yourself and help them to walk in obedience to that and we pray this in Jesus name Amen.